Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, it's Chihuahua snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this... It's how our week went. What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome back to Cat Disgusted. Uh, this is kind of an exciting episode for two reasons. Uh, one is this is our 19th episode, which means that the next episode will be our 20th episode, which is insane on multiple counts. Uh, one is that I've managed to do that many of them. The other one is that y'all have managed to listen to that many of them. So I feel like that's cause for celebration. Um, so we're like almost at like the 20 mark, which is like, we're like going to do like a little, that's like, that's like a half pint champagne pop, like boop, like, like half celebration till we get there. Um, the other exciting thing about this episode is, uh, that this is our first request. Uh, I have a good friend who lives in Berlin as in Berlin in Germany. Um, her name is Harvey, and I'm going to give you a bunch of information about her because you should know about her because she's rad, and I will tell you why. Uh, so my friend Harvey and I go back to our college days when I went to Humboldt State University, which I remember, you know, like I'm going to say about 50% of my time there. Um, we were in the uh, theater department together because originally before I was doing any kind of vet tech stuff. It's been a while since I talked about this, but in my, I call it my previous life. Um, I was doing lighting design and stage management, and Harvey was there uh, doing a lot of creative writing, doing a lot of acting, um, some directing. So uh, Harvey has Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, which is a cancer. She was diagnosed with that this year, I believe. I might get the timeline wrong, girl, sorry. Uh, but what's important about it is that she is in the middle of several, like like a series of chemotherapy treatments, uh, which is way not easy. But Harvey, being who she is, uh, being this interdisciplinary artist that she is, she's chosen to fight this cancer and kind of share that fight with the world. Uh, and she's doing that in a couple different ways. One thing that Harvey's gotten into, I kind of feel like since, you know, since our friendship in college, since uh, we lived in the same building in San Francisco, I forgot that was another way uh, we knew each other. Uh, one thing that she's gotten into is photography and filmmaking. And so she's actually doing some videos. She's doing photos of her time in the hospital, of her time with her friends and her community, who she uh, is so fortunate to have in, um, in, in Berlin. So I want to let you know how you can also follow Harvey. Cause I feel like it's kind of an amazing thing that she's doing. Um, you can find her on Facebook, uh, Harvey rabbit. 
is how you find her on Facebook, and that profile is public. Um, she's also Chemo Queen seventy five, just like it sounds. Uh, Chemo Queen seventy five on Instagram, and her Twitter handle is at Chemo Queen seventy five. And if you go to those places, then you can uh, share in Harvey's journey that she's on, uh, fighting Hodgkin's lymphoma and all of her chemo treatments and all of the wonderful people that are in her life that are supporting her. Um, including myself, I feel like I've, I've talked to her a lot on Thank God for Facebook sometimes, dude, like for real, like I talk some shit about that website and about that service, but you know what? I'm able to like be there for this, uh, freaking crazy thing that she's going through. And so for that, I'm cool with the FB. So in any case, that's a long way of getting to, uh, the, the, number two of the exciting things about this 19th episode, which is that uh, Harvey requested that I talk a little bit about cancer uh, and how it relates to veterinary medicine and how I experience it in my everyday. Um, and I I think that I can give you guys a... So here here's the thing about cancer, right? There's a lot. There's a lot to it. <laughs> so I feel like what I can bring to... Uh, to 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 this subject in my world is the things that I've had immediate experience with uh, in working in emergency and critical care uh, when I've helped out the oncology department because the hospital that I work at actually has a whole other department that's dedicated just to oncology with its own doctors that specialize board certified in oncology, its own nurses that operate only in that department. So, I mean, those bitches could do a whole episode on their own department, a whole other podcast probably on the oncology department. But for our purposes here, um, I'll talk about a couple things that that I have some, you know, so, so, some direct hands-on experiences. Uh, one of them is going to actually sound familiar to you guys. I'll talk about uh, hemangiosarcomas of the spleen. Uh, that was in our surgery episode. I talked a little bit about that, these bleeding splenic masses. Um, we'll talk a little bit about chemotherapy in animals because that's a that's a thing that totally happens. Um, and then there's a, a, a something called ECT treatment, which is electrochemotherapy treatment. Uh, which uh, we do at my hospital and that which is a very like new and innovative way to treat uh, cancers that are kind of in the tissues and on the on the skin, like closer to the surface of, of the skin. So uh, let's talk about hemangiosarcomas because that's the one that I have the most immediate relation to. So classic thing, uh, and I think I've mentioned this before, classic emergency page coming through our department is like, 10-year-old or 12-year-old Labrador retriever, collapsed, pale gums, abdomen looks distended. And we're like, oh, splenic mass. So what that means is uh, there's a malignant tumor of the spleen that's bleeding. That and Older, large breed dogs are prone to them. Uh, so what do these masses do? Well, the bleeding, right? I've mentioned that like four times in the last couple sentences because that's like the most life-threatening thing. Uh, but I think in order to kind of understand why that happens, we first have to understand what the spleen is. Uh, and we have one too. Humans have one. Uh, it's a part of the lymphatic system. It's a long, slithery purple organ. Like it's a really kind of crazy looking thing. And basically what it does is it acts as a, as a blood filter. Um, it, it, it's involved in the, the volume of red blood cells that you have in your body. It helps fight infection by releasing white blood cells. It's kind of like a sponge is, is the best way that I can 
kind of visualize how this thing works in in my head. It, it has, so it has this reserve of red blood cells, reserve of of things that are going into your bloodstream. Uh, it's uh, helpful when you're hemorrhaging. It, it's kind of funny that it's helpful in a hemorrhage, but can also hemorrhage. So if you're, so say you suffered a trauma, say you're hit by a car or your dog is hit by a car and is suffering a massive amount of blood loss. Well, a place in your body where uh, you're going to store a lot of red blood cells is your spleen. And so what'll happen is what's called splenic contraction and your spleen will actually like a sponge, squeeze out a whole bunch of red blood cells to, to compensate for all of the blood that you're losing in that trauma. So a lot of times, this is a weird thing, right? So I remember experiencing this when I first worked in emergency, there was a, a cat that was hit by a car and it had just suffered a degloving injury of one of its back legs, which means a lot of the skin had been avulsed or torn off of, uh, of its leg and it lost a lot of blood. So this cat's like mucous membranes were not as pale as you would think, like it's kind of like light pink, like some cats just kind of naturally or a little bit light pink. Um, but it was obviously clinically unstable. I mean, you know, laterally recumbent, we had to triage this kitty immediately. And we checked a, a what's called a pack cell volume or PCV for the volume of red blood cells. And it was actually like low normal. And so, but the doctor was like, no, this cat needs blood right away. And I was like, oh, that's weird because like the PCV is like not that unstable, but the reason why is it's splenic contraction. So that cat's spleen had squeezed out a whole bunch of red blood cells to compensate for all the blood loss, but your body's not going to make that blood in a real, like in a, in a, fast enough time period to replace that if you're still bleeding. Um, so it's a good thing to kind of be aware of when you're dealing with trauma and you're checking those quick uh, PCVs to check for blood loss is like if you're close to the event and the spleen is contracted, you're going to get this kind of normal PCV, even though these animals are clinically unstable because of blood loss. So I thought that was really cool when I first started doing this job. Uh, you can live without your spleen. That is absolutely true. Uh, it does leave you prone to certain infections, but your bone marrow also uh, produces white blood cells. And so you can fight infections without your spleen, but your spleen is a big helper with those things. So yes, you can live without it. You must live without it if it's ruptured or it's torn because then your 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 blood sponge in your body is just, it's going to kill you. It's just going to bleed uncontrollably inside of you. So that's a lot of the times why your spleen is removed. Now, uh, the tumor in the spleen, right? The tumor, uh, primarily what a tumor in the spleen is going to do is bleed. Uh, it's a it's a blood sponge tumor. Like that's what it does. It's it's like it's cells that are not normal that have made a big old mass of ugly on a big ass blood sponge. Like that's what's gonna happen. It's gonna bleed. And dogs come in with this bleeding mass, really unstable. They're pale. They're weak. They've fallen over. They need blood. They need oxygen. Um, they'll have free fluid in their abdomen, and you can sample it with a with a needle on on a syringe, and you'll get blood. Uh, we call it a hemoabdomen. So ultrasound will see the tumor. Now, a lot of times when we get these dogs and oncology is still in the bu still in the building, off they go to the oncology department to get an ultrasound uh, so they can see if it is indeed a tumor on the spleen that's causing this bleeding inside. Two-thirds of those masses on the spleen are malignant. 
two-thirds of those malignant masses are hemangiosarcoma, and those dogs have two to three months to live. So that rule has a name, and it's like the rule of twos and threes. Am I getting that wrong? I feel like the doctors sometimes say rule of threes or rule of two and threes, and you can see why, right? It's like two-thirds of the masses are cancerous, two-thirds are hemangiosarcomas, dogs live two to three months. Now, if that mass is not cancer then surgery is going to solve this problem. So if it's not cancer and you're bleeding and you got this big ass mass in your spleen that's doing you in, open up that dog, take the spleen out, remove the bleeding thing, sew them back up, hooray, solve the problem. Now, if it's cancer, that's different because cancer moves around. Cancer travels around your body. And a lot of the times, one of the things that's a big um, kind of a big red flag about these masses is if they've progressed to your liver, if they if your liver has changes that look not so great because your liver is really close to your spleen and the cancer is going to move around, it's going to move to that, that sometimes will affect owner's decisions about whether or not they're going to take their dog to surgery to remove this bleeding mass. Um, dogs that have this cancer, if they have chemotherapy, it can extend their life, but it really is only going to extend their life for about six to eight months on average. Now that's not to say that there's not exceptions to the rule, but I feel like you have to be honest with the owners of these animals that like, even though they may go through this chemo treatment, it really is going to buy them about half a year to a year. If it's a freaking awesome treatment. Now, that brings us to chemotherapy for animals. So, so much of this changes every day. So human medicine, I feel like there is so much research that's going into cancer medications and tailoring cancer medications to like target certain cells of certain cancers that, you know, a lot of that is going to spill over into veterinary medicine. A lot of it already has. And it's just, it's constantly updated about the different types of drugs that we can use for different types of cancers. So this is by no means a comprehensive list (laughs) that I'll be, that I'll be talking about. Um, I thought I would talk about a couple like drugs that I've interacted with, you know, in the ER or taken phone calls about. That's always fun. That is all. Okay. By the way, oncology department, that is like so rad when your clients call us at like one in the morning with questions about their chemotherapy drugs. Oh, that's awesome. Because a lot of times we don't know what they are. We don't know what they're doing. I mean, there's a lot of them. They're all really complicated and they're all really, really specific. So uh, sometimes we can't answer any of those questions. We just have to be like, "Mm, call back in the morning. (laughs) So the chemotherapy for animals, they can be uh, intravenous injections, uh, subcutaneous injections, which means it doesn't have to go into a vein. It can actually go in the subcutaneous space. Uh, Animals can also get oral chemotherapy. Same with people. I don't know that they do sub-Q chemotherapy in people. That sounds kind of crazy. The only real sub-Q thing, to my knowledge, that happens in people medicine is with like really newborn babies, like baby babies. They sometimes will get sub-Q things, but I don't, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. If anybody out there has ever had a sub-Q injection, let me know. <laughs> I feel like, because you know, like intramuscular, that's like usually like the injections you think of with people or IV, obviously. Um, so let's talk about, a, let's talk about a couple of these drugs. So the first one is cyclophosphamide. So cyclophosphamide, and this is the one I'm thinking of about the 1am call, by the way, <laughs> this is the one that I remember the client asking about. Uh, it treats lymphomas 
It treats leukemias, and it also treats autoimmune diseases. Um, what it does is it kills your T cells, which are part of your immune system. Everybody's probably heard of T cells because that's the cell count that people who are suffering from AIDS are always watching is your T cell count. And when that count gets really, really low is when you're susceptible to all kinds of infections and diseases that you wouldn't normally get. Um, cyclophosphamide you can give orally or you can give intravenously. Now, if you're giving it either of those ways, this is a good uh, segue <laughs> to get into um, how these drugs are given. If you're somebody who's giving one of those drugs to an animal, you have to think about protecting yourself. And by protecting yourself, I mean that a lot of these drugs that we're giving, they're poison, like straight up. They are poison. They are there to kill cells. Cyclophosphamide is chemically similar to mustard gas. Yup. Mustard gas. Like as in like warfare mustard gas. So you can imagine if you're giving this drug uh, intravenously, uh, you have to know what to wear. So protect those oncology techs, they all have masks. They have, uh, they have eye protection. They've got these special chemotherapy gowns. They got special chemotherapy gloves. Um, if they're giving cyclophosphamide IV, they're in some serious hazmat gear because it's mustard gas. So and I remember this specifically because I remember I got trapped helping these onco techs, um, with a bad cat. It was just this cat that was bad. And so I had to, like, I just, came. It was like one of my first like days in the hospital. And I went and helped him with this kitty just to like restrain it to get an IV catheter in it, which by the way was hard because it had three legs <laughs> and that's why it was getting treated. It had cancer and one of those legs had to be removed and then it was going to get uh, chemotherapy treatment. Now, I don't know if it was getting cyclophosphamide, but woo wee did we wear our stuff. Like they closed the door. There's a whole room. There's a chemotherapy room. And so the kitty was in there and uh, they closed the door and the kitty was anesthetized and one of the technicians goes like, ready to begin chemo. And I I was like, what? And they're like, put your gown on, put your mask on, put your gloves on. I was like, the what, the what, the, oh my God. And the rubber gloves, like they have a left hand and a right hand because they're like more heavy duty. I had to get all this stuff on. Um, I was not anticipating all this. I'd never been in an oncology department before. And, you know, I just started this job. So I stayed in there for the whole thing, which was cool. But I have to say like the masks, they give you this really, um, claustrophobic feeling because there's a big ass filter that's on the, like they're not they're not like surgical masks like they're like big heavy duty masks like the Oncotex they write their names on them and they have to change them out every couple weeks you know because they breathe through them and they the filters wear out blah 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 anyway um total like sidebar note about the gear but I thought talking about the mustard gas chemo was a good way to talk about um all the Oncotex fancy stuff so uh, another drug that, uh, that you can also give, which relates to our splenic mass dogs, you can give a drug called doxorubicin. Um, doxorubicin is a treatment for malignant splenic tumors. So that would be our hemangiosarcoma dog that's come in. Um, it's given intravenously every three weeks. You can also treat lymphoma with this. Um, so because it's given intravenously, I remember our cyclophosphamide one you can also give orally. Um, doxorubicin is not one of those. It has to be given in a hospital setting. Uh, this is why, by the way, the oncology techs are the best IV catheter placers in the hospital. Well, okay, they're 
they're awesome at it. You know, like I feel like saying like the best, like techs get a little bit weird about that because everybody wants to be the best, which you all are, by the way, everybody who works in a specialty hospital, everybody who works with animals, you're all awesome at venipuncture. Just know that if you're doing venipuncture on animals, you freaking rock. I don't care who you are. That's just hard. Um, But a lot of the times if we're having trouble in emergency and we place a lot of catheters in emergency, but if we're having trouble, go get the oncology text. Like just don't be proud. Don't be all ego about it. Go get them because these guys, they are placing IV catheters in patients that are receiving multiple injections of poison every couple weeks. Like those veins are shot. So if they're coming in to help you, they're going to be nothing but net, dude, because these guys, the veins they deal with on a daily basis are just, they just ain't pretty. Um, Also, when they place those IV catheters, they have to be in the vein like for sure because if you have extravascular chemo, and that means if you have a chemo treatment like this liquid that goes outside of the vein, all bad, all bad. Because remember, you're giving poison. And if poison is like roaming around in their subcutaneous space, I mean, you're talking about ulcers, sloughing of the skin. I mean, it kills cells. It's going to kill all the cells around where that chemical touches. When they tape those catheters in, uh, the oncology department will actually sometimes leave the insertion site, like where the catheter lumen goes in the skin. They'll sometimes leave that visible so that they can see if the animal moves around and that like lumen kind of is coming out of their skin a little bit. They'll immediately stop the chemo um, and then place another catheter because they have that has to be in the vein. Like it has to be in the vein. Um, unlike humans, you know. We don't, humans a lot of times will have um, a chemo port, is what they call it. And what it basically is, is a central line that's placed uh, one time in a catheter lab where they use like, you know, uh, radiology to like lace this catheter deep into your veins uh, in your inguinal area sometimes. I think some people have them in their like subclavicular area, which is kind of by your shoulders, by your clavicle. Um, those, those, are, those chemo ports get placed once and then they just chill there so that you don't have to get poked all the time. Um, animals, it's just hard to do that because they're animals. Like even though they're going through a chemotherapy treatment, they still are, they're, they're still animals. Like you can't ration with them and be like, hey, you know that dangly thing? Like don't bite that. Um, so they're, the oncotechs are, they're, they're placing catheters every time they administer these drugs. Now, doxorubicin, it looks like poison. Like I remember seeing this one. It can sometimes be this like really menacing red color. And a lot of times the chemo drugs look like that because I think they don't want to, they don't want you to mistake it for anything else. Like it is absolutely, I've seen one before they've given that was the color of Windex, like this deep blue toxic looking color. And it's cause you don't like, you don't want to grab the wrong syringe. Like you want to know what it is. Um, the last, uh, the last chemotherapy treatment, which is really what we call like an adjunct treatment with chemotherapy, is something we offer at our hospital. Um, it's called ECT or electrochemotherapy. So this is a couple, this is kind of like something you do in addition to chemical chemotherapy. So uh, it's intralesional, intravenous, and that's in combination 
with the ECT. So this is the one that I talked about um, um, earlier on that is the uh, first kind of more surface things, like more surface sarcomas, because intralesional means uh, you're going to inject chemotherapy chemotherapy directly into where the cancer lesion is. Uh, intravenous means you're going to give chemotherapy in a vein, and then you're going to use the electrochemotherapy to open up the cell walls to let all those chemicals in to do their job. So it's a machine like this electrochemotherapy is a machine um, that like has like electricity running through two. I think it's two probes. Um, one thing I kind of want to do is like a little part two of this episode is take you on a little tour of that machine and, and have one of the Oncotechs talk a little bit about what it is. I think I'm going to try to do that on my voice memo on my phone um, before they leave at the end of their day one of these days. So forgive me that I can't describe this machine exactly, but it's kind of like it's got electrical probes. It's got dials. It's spooky looking. The doctor touches it, not the nurses. Um Animals have to be anesthetized for this procedure, uh, but no gas. And the reason why that is, is because uh, gas is flammable and oxygen is flammable and we're using electricity. So uh, they can be intubated for sure, but you're keeping them under anesthesia with injectable anesthesia like propofol, uh, which we use as an induction agent a lot of the time, not with, uh, you're not keeping them under with gas. So what this does, this, uh, this ECT machine, it delivers the drugs that you've given, the chemical drugs that you've given into, this, into the cell interior. So what it is, this machine delivers short and really intense electrical bursts, like impulses, that open up the cell membranes. Um, it's relatively new. This was this was used on people in the early 90s. So the fact that we're using it at my hospital in veterinary medicine is kind of amazing. Like we're one of the few places in the country that's using this that's using this treatment um these cutaneous lesions uh are for example they can be cats that have vaccine vaccine induced sarcomas um that's not something we've really talked about but a lot of times you know cats are aliens and they're sensitive to things that other animals aren't sensitive to uh, cats can develop these cancers at the site of vaccines and the feline leukemia vaccine is one that they have um determined can cause this vaccine induced sarcoma they're really, really aggressive, um, and there are cancers in their soft tissue, and the ECT is used as a, a treatment for that, in addition to the intralesional and intravenous chemo for that cancer. Three-legged cat, it was a vaccine-induced sarcoma. So there was actually a fourth method of treating this cancer, which was surgery. So they remove the leg, inject chemo into the lesion, inject chemo into the veins, and then use electricity in short bursts with the probes of this machine while it's under anesthesia to open up the cell membranes. There's a lot going on there, right? <laughs> like that, that's why they have a whole department <laughs> based on this, because it's a lot going on. Oncology is amazing. Um, so it's a, so I've mentioned it was an adjuvant treatment, which means it's in addition to other things. ECT by itself isn't going to do you any good uh, because it's the action of the electricity that you want. Um, my, the experience that I had uh, with this three-legged kitty, I, I thought it was a, like, it was crazy. I mean, like, because the probes on the animal, I mean, you can't touch the, you can't touch the kitty because it's almost like um, it reminded me of being shocked for CPR. Now it's not nearly as much electricity as that is uh, when you're using a defibrillator, but it's similar because they're, you know, the body does jump. I mean, like the, the voltage is not as intense, but I mean, in the specific 
placement for it. You know, you're around the lesion where, where this cancer is and that's where they're putting those probes. But yeah, the, like the animal, like definitely hops and you can't touch it, you know, because otherwise you're going to get shocked too. So totally a crazy thing, but they've had, they've had success with this because they can get, um, they can get these drugs into places that are really difficult to get drugs into. Uh, that's a whole, I feel like that's a whole other episode is the pharmacology of how to get drugs into places that you really want to get them. Um, it's part of the reason why like parasites in your brain are such a problem is because getting drugs through your blood brain barrier is hella hard. Um, cell membranes, they're tough little buggers, dude. Like it's actually relatively difficult to get drugs into cell membranes to that phospholipid bilayer to, to get them to, to kill the cells that you don't want, um, which is nothing, which is exactly what cancer is over proliferation of cells that you don't want. Now I should talk about the side effects of all these things. Um, it's just like human chemotherapy. These guys get nauseous, they get diarrhea, they usually will go home. Um, God, I feel like they probably always go home uh, from our oncology department with medications in anticipation of these things. Um, they have anti-nausea meds. They have diarrhea medications because inevitably these animals are going to feel sick like people do. Uh, and so they can start those medications when they're at home. They don't need to like call and get a separate prescription and like come back to the hospital. Like the oncology department just sends them out the door with those because they know it's coming because it's poison. So there is like, there, there is just going to be side effects. Like there's not really, some is worse than others. Um, but there's just not really a way around that. Um, they're trying to make these treatments as comfortable as possible. You know, I feel like the, um, the, the medications are intended to do that. Uh, sometimes they'll be on uh, like a bland diet if their digestive system is really racked up. Uh, you know, it, it I, I should mention like, you know, the way that this kind of, you know, with your hair falling out and GI signs, the reason why that is, is because, you know, cancer is a rapid overproliferation of cells that shouldn't be there. And so these drugs, they're targeting cells that are rapidly producing. That's cancer. That also happens to be the cells that line your GI tract. It also happens to be the cells that, uh, that make your hair, you know, like the, the, your follicular cells, because they are rapidly producing cells. They make your hair all the, the, your hair gross, you know, and your intestinal lining is constantly rejuvenating itself um, and shedding old cells and making new ones. And so those cells, ooh, they're like, they're kind of like, you know, drive by innocent drive by victims. Like they just, they're, they're going to go in addition to, uh, in addition to the cancer cells, which is sometimes a necessary evil in order to kill the cancer. Um, this is a big, I feel like uh, the oncology techs have a lot of responsibility in talking to clients about what their animals can and cannot handle with these treatments. You know, um, my friend Harvey in Berlin, she gets to have a conversation with the medical professionals, with these doctors about, you know, what is my treatment going to be? What can I expect? How many times do I have to come back to the hospital? How am I going to feel? So she gets to kind of anticipate the results of all of these drugs and the results of, uh, and, and also get a very real effect of knowing what's wrong in her body and how it's getting fixed and how that's getting evaluated every time she comes back into the hospital. Animals, we don't have that luxury. You know, a lot of times they don't, they don't know they're sick. You know, a classic example was this beautiful golden retriever that we had um, come into the hospital, 13-year-old beautiful golden retriever, wagging its tail, jumping around, gums bluish white. And 
even though he had energy, he was really breathing really, really hard. Like you kind of bounce around and then you have to take a break. We looked at his chest with the ultrasound and his stomach with the ultrasound. He had free fluid in his abdomen. He also had what's called pericardial effusion, which means he had fluid around his heart. With an old golden retriever, that's cancer. So nobody can tell him, you have cancer, old golden retriever. Like this, this is, and now this is the treatment that's going to be required and it's going to make you feel really bad and you might have to have surgery. Like you can't tell animals that. So I feel like you have, um, you have to be very honest with the owners of these animals about like, what, what do you think they would want? The owners know the animals best, you know, I I feel like they're able to make rational decisions about, you know, my, my dog will be able to handle that, or my cat will be able to handle that versus like, oh my God, my cat wants nothing less than to come into the hospital like once a week or once every two weeks and to just like not eat for forever. Like, I mean, I feel like that, that that has to be a conversation that you have with the owners. Um, in the case of uh, of the splenic masses and the, that the, if it's malignant, that it shortens their life so much, you know, I feel like they kind of have to think about what what they want the remainder of that dog's life to be. Um, so that's I think that's the hardest thing about what the oncology department has to do, especially the nurses, because they have to have a lot of that conversation with the, about the cost, uh, both financially and um, mentally for the owner and then physically for the animal as well about what's going to happen. So I, they're uh, the big hearts in oncology, dude. I feel like I respect those guys so much. I can't sing enough praises about this, the work that they do every day. And there's super happy stories in there too. Like there are animals that recover, like, you know, um, classic stuff that's to be happy about. You know, you have a Uh, like a young dog with a bone cancer and you take its leg off and you give it chemotherapy and my God, that dog lives to like 15. You know, I mean that those stories absolutely happen. I don't mean to be such a downer with like, you know, all the chemo and the like, who like not, you know, short term prognosis and all that. There are totally happy cases. Uh, which happen in our oncology department every day. And I feel like that is part of the miracle um, that these guys perform, in addition to the miracle of placing IV catheters when emergency is losing its mind. Well, it's happened again, ladies and gentlemen. You have survived another episode of Cat Disgusted. Um, next time, 20th episode. It is cray cray banane that y'all have been uh, listening to this for that long, that I've been making them for that long. Um, thank you from the bottom of my heart for keeping it going. Um, I look forward to the next one. We'll make it a celebration. And remember, don't come and see me at work. I wish I could eat your